Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. You are Locked On Nets. Your daily podcast on the Brooklyn Nets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team. Every day. And welcome in to a Wednesday night edition of the Locked On Nets podcast after a week hiatus. Josh, how was your spring break? Gavin, my spring break was lovely. Um, I've spent a little bit of time in Long Island. I turned 22, so I'm feeling 22, as Taylor Swift likes to say. But uh, I'm excited to get back to talking with you. I haven't seen you in a while. Our relationship is basically professional at this point, and we don't hang out outside of the podcast. Yeah, I took you out of the personal category of my phone contacts and added you to the professional one, so that is absolutely uh, where we are at. You know, this is the time of year where all the uh, NBA bigwigs take their vacation. Zach Lowe goes to Croatia. Um, Kevin Arnovitz gets carried up a mountain in Thailand somewhere. Um, so I, I, wa- I wanted to give us a little bit of a break, refresh, uh, come back stronger than ever. But uh, we have a banger of a podcast after taking the week off. Um, and Josh, I have, a, I have a story for you that you have yet to hear. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you told me a little bit about what happened, not the contents, just the uh, context. So I'm excited to hear uh, what kind of shenanigans you were up to. Okay, so as uh, you know, and probably no one else listening to this podcast knows, because I don't talk to them on a daily basis, um, I got a job working for the NFL recently, I know, cheating on our league. And um, today they I had was very their, upset at you for that. Yeah, no, I know. I know, you were mad. You sent me a couple of mean texts. Um, and they had their LGBTQ, did I get that right? Yes, uh, perfect. Okay, um, they had their LGBTQ Pride event today, and uh, one of the speakers was uh, who else but uh, former Nets. Um, I don't want to say, I'll say legend for what he did off the court um, and strong role player on the court, Jason Collins. And, and basically they had this whole talk series um, with him and a couple of other former athletes who have since come out, and there was a lot of really insightful, um, really interesting, powerful stuff, but the uh, basketball-related subject that stood out to me there was uh, Jason Collins talking about his interactions with Kevin Garnett because Garnett was actually a guy he'd known for um, a while going back to his days on the Boston Celtics. And uh, Collins made a remark that I found pretty funny. He, he threw out there that Kevin Garnett, regardless of basketball ability, would get into the Hall of Fame just for his strengths as a trash talker. But Collins' big concern here was a lot of Garnett's trash talk involved homophobic slurs and then Collins, after coming out and then almost immediately joining Garnett on the Nets, this is kind of the first time he'd seen him since coming out to the world. And he, he was almost expecting the worst. And he was like, is this guy who was my friend for so long going to accept me? And about 24 hours into his time on the Nets, um, Garnett comes up to him and says, look, I don't care about any of that. You're my boy. Um, I'm going to back you through and through. And, and I'm so proud of you for being able to make this big decision. So I think, and, and I know Garnett's a guy who's who's never going to be considered a net. That's going to be his distant third team when you look at his career. But little moments like that and what 
um, what a special player and person he is, I think really stand out to me. And, and that was that was just pretty cool to hear, even though it's a small little tidbit. It's an insight into the mind of one of the greatest competitors the NBA has ever seen. Yeah, definitely. Garnett is obviously known as a lion on the court, but off the court, uh, really does seem like a sweet guy. And again, um, even though this is this happened a few years ago, but just shouts out to Jason Collins for being the first openly NBA gay player. It took so much courage to do that. And um, as allies of the community, we're... We uh, think he's a hero, and I'm sure you can attest that also, Gavin. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, I don't. I, we weren't planning on talking about this that much, but no, it was. It was really genuinely moving hearing from him today, and I, I guess just from an outside perspective, it, it was tough to even at the time, even even up until today, for me, it was tough to gauge just how tough of a decision that was. But but you hear him to go back to that. You mentioned someone like Garnett, even someone who he genuinely liked just like frequently use homophobic slurs and just because even even if there's no ill intent there just because of how they grew up you could imagine being in that environment and operating that environment for 13 14 years and these guys just casually throwing around these derogatory terms and then to have the courage to come out against that is just is is, is utterly astounding to me and it's really it was it was just amazing to hear Jason talk about it and kind of get that perspective and, and I, I think sometimes we we assign athletes these qualities based on how they play. Like someone like Michael Jordan is considered the ultimate example of courage in the face of pressure. Kobe Bryant, another good example. But then something like this from a guy in Jason Collins, who I don't want to go after the guy's game, but was never the most startling or spectacular player. Um, For him to have something like this, in my mind at least, that kind of dwarfs what guys like Jordan, Kobe, LeBron did on the court. Yeah, it, te- it definitely takes um, an incre- incredible amount of courage that we probably will never uh, ever know how much it really does take. But um, doing something like that off the court is is so valuable, um, and he really does serve as a role model. Set shot Willie. I always have fond memory of him as a net, and uh, Mark Jackson really going after him when he used to announce the Nets games. But um, he was obviously a starting center on those two uh, finals teams, and he definitely contributed and on and off the court. Yeah, and uh, just a little little tease. He'll, he'll make an appearance later on in this podcast when we talk about our um, all-time Nets teams under certain circumstances. We'll get into that in a little bit. But first, uh, the Nets schedule. Um, obviously, all the NBA game schedules came out a little bit earlier this week, and Locked On Podcast's own Jared Yaya Dubin, uh, he, he broke all of them down. Um, and, and he basically figured out, using a combination of last year's records and Pythagorean win expectancy, the, the t- ranking all the schedules in the league from toughest to easiest. And he came out with the Nets having the seventh toughest schedule in basketball. And I, I thought that was pretty fascinating because we know um, the formula the NFL uses is based on giving the worst teams the year before the easiest schedules. But you see the Nets having the seventh t- toughest, the Suns having the toughest in the league. It, it, it's kind of fascinating that um, teams don't get that extra boost for being bad. Yeah, I mean, just different leagues. I think that obviously the NFL, it rotates every year in terms of what divi- what out-of-conference division you're playing. While in the NBA, you're playing the Eastern Conference are going to play the Western Conference teams two times no matter what. Um, so there's just not as much room to be flexible and uh, have the teams vary from year to year in strengths of schedule. Um, so it's unfortunate that the Nets do have a tough schedule, but um, listen, what are you going to do? They just need to go out and play as hard as possible. I remember last year, actually, the Nets... I think had played the their opponents had the lowest amount of back to backs. They only played three teams coming off of back to back, which was 
insanely low, and definitely the Nets don't need any um, – they need as much help as they can get from the scheduler. So that's unfortunate, but um, I think that the scheduling doesn't mean as much in the NBA. Yeah, no, that's, that's certainly fair, and I guess it's almost impossible to think about it like that when you're planning 82 games, and you have to take into account um, just certain stadium requirements like the Spurs having their rodeo road trip every year. I, I can't even imagine what that is. It's amazing that it's even feasible to put a schedule together like that. That's why we don't do it, Gavin. That's, hey, that's true. Um, what, what was fascinating to me, um, and I think this could, I mean, depending on how much you want to read into this, it could potentially lead to a season similar to how the, to what the Nets had last year, where they started off slow and then really picked things up. Um, for October through de- December, their um, opponents won on average about fifty three percent of their games last year. So the Nets have one of the toughest schedules of basketball for October, November, December. Well, I'm going to argue with that a little yeah. bit, Gavin, because I think looking at the schedule is it's extremely easy and very favorable um, at the start. They're playing a lot of teams that. We're pretty good last year, um, but definitely lost a lot of pieces. They play uh, Atlanta, Indiana, these types of teams, uh, Phoenix, Los Angeles. I think their first 11 games or so are extremely favorable. Obviously, there are games like uh, home against the Cavs, which is probably not winnable. A tough game against Denver, who's much improved after getting Paul Millsap. But I think this team has the ability to start five and six, six and five. The schedule seems pretty favorable, in my opinion. Yeah, I think think it's weighted a little bit where it gets... And maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems like it gets really hard in near the end of November and through December, and that kind of makes up for an early season cushion. The good news for the Nets is after those first three months or so, they only have one month remaining in the season where they play an above average schedule, so that's a chance to kind of compensate. Um, a couple of other important dates: uh, Nets Knicks happens four times, starting October 27th at MSG and finishing up January 30th at MSG. So that four game series uh, will be done before the All Star break. Um, the Cavaliers come to the Barclays Center on October 25th, then again on March 25th. All, all, all these numbers, by the way, via Nets Income and Nets Daily, so big shout-out to them. Didn't want to uh, steal that without giving credit. Um, this one, I think, Josh, you'll like, and I think most Nets fans will like. 18 of the Nets' 39 games at the Barclays Center, so about half their games are played on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So that's pretty appealing um, for the working crowd in New York. Longest road trip on the year, just five games for the Nets. So maybe a couple little mitigating factors that could help them out with that tough schedule. Yeah, definitely. I think last year was the last time the Nets had their big circus trip um, because I guess Barnum and Bailey's circus closed or their stop running or whatever. Yeah, a lot uh, of animal abuse issues. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're a big PETA guy. So that could be Bless favorable. Up. I'm really circling a few dates on the calendar. Um, obviously, November 3rd, uh, Nets going to Los Angeles to play the Lakers, get our first look at Lonzo Ball, see Brooke Lopez in a um, in a, the yellow and gold, which will be very, very jarring for me. And obviously, D'Angelo Russell returns. And then we have to wait until February 2nd to see Brolo come back to Brooklyn. Yeah. All right. Uh, now I want to get into what I consider the most fun part of this podcast, Josh. I'll... Actually, hold on. Can I just make a I just yeah, yeah, scroll go ahead. the schedule? Go ahead. Yeah, and I see that the Detroit Pistons. I guess their new arena is called because uh, they're moving away from the Palace at Auburn Hills. Yeah, and their new arena is called Little Caesars Arena. <laughs> and that's not great. I always loved the Palace at Auburn Hills. I thought that was one of the best. That's uh, an incredible name. Now yeah. you're going to Little Caesars. I mean, to be fair, the Palace on Auburn Hills sounds kind of Greek, and now we're just going Roman. So maybe, maybe that's a natural evolution. Hmm. 
No, I'm I'm I'm, I'm 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 with you in a, in a grander sense. That's that's crappy. I don't and it, love it. I don't, I, love I don't I don't want to get on my soapbox for the for the second time in a podcast, but the uh, the slow but steady commercialization of the NBA, and I guess that, that's kind of a joke because it's obviously since the '80s it's been massively commercialized. But just having ads on jerseys, stupid names like that, I, I don't know. I, I don't like I don't like any part of it. I think you're absolutely right. The Palace and Auburn Hills that always gave me just just hearing the name kind of gives you like the a chill. Yeah, and you and you associate it with those 2004, 2005 Detroit teams that were so incredible and took down the giant of the NBA at the time in the Lakers. And now I'm going to associate Little Caesars with Reggie Jackson dribbling into a pick and losing the basketball. Yeah, I just don't. I don't know. Maybe Andre Drummond really loves Little Caesars, and they're trying to, to <laughs> keep him happy over there and keep him motivated. But I think there's so many of these terrible uh, arena names. Hasn't the Oakland A's stadium and also the – Sacramento Kings Arena. I feel like they're constantly changing names, and it's always horrible and kind of off-putting. Yeah, like Barclays no. Center at least sounds good. It sounds clean, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's crisp, and it's like it's obviously it's like corporate-y, But I, I don't necessarily mind corporate as long as it's like as you, as you said, sharp. Like like the is Houston still the Toyota Center, or did they switch it up? Um, let me check that. I think, I think so. Like, like Twitter. something like that. Like I always yeah, got so excited whenever I'm playing like NBA live or NBA jam or something like when I want to hear like the Toyota center, that just sounds, I, I don't know. You gotta, I, I think like you shouldn't just go with the sponsor that gives you the most money. There should be, you want to protect the brand essentially. And I, I think there should be some premise or importance placed on, um, what that name is. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Also, we forgot to mention that the Nets are playing two games in Mexico city um, oh, this yeah. year, so they had played in London a few years ago, and I remember one of the games was a, a triple overtime game against Toronto, I believe, or maybe Atlanta. Uh, this year, they're going to be playing the Oklahoma City Thunder on December 7th and the Heat on December 9th, so some interesting uh, teams there that the Mexican fans will be able to uh, take a look at. Uh, yeah, we, we talked about this off-air, but that, that's kind of BS that both of those games count as home games, and we were... We yeah, were I don't I, yeah. I was just saying, like how impressed I was with the NBA's ability to make schedules. I'm taking that back a little bit because that, that's a pretty clear and distinct disadvantage for the Nets. It's so that. blatantly, un, like ridiculous and unfair. Yeah, very Trumpy. Maybe they think the Nets won't need the home games. I don't, I don't know. But yeah, I, I don't know. Of all the teams, especially one that doesn't have their pick if they're bad, I, I, I don't know. It seems like the wrong team to bully and and pile that onto. So for Nets fans everywhere, um, this is a Knicks fan standing up for you. Yeah, impeach Adam Silver, right, guys? <laughs> oh yeah, let's get rid of him. Um, make the NBA great again. All right, uh, Josh, you sent this to me a few days ago um, with a simple question next podcast, and I, I, I was all in. I love doing these things in in fun little groups, posting them on Facebook. I'm essentially, it's I'm sure every single person who listens to this podcast has seen one of these on social media before. I, I personally love doing them. It's one of those, you have $15 to build your ideal Nets team. And Josh, I think I have most of them down now, but I don't really want to risk it. Do you want to run through the names and dollar amounts for me? Because all we get is faces on this one. Yes, I'm going to do that. First, do we have a name for these types of things where you get like a, a certain amount of money to build your own team and there's uh, different classifications of players? I feel like these need a name. Um, I think it's like the Carnage song. I like to, and in this case, you have $15 to. It's just like the premise is the name, I think. Because okay. that, that's what you associate it with. Like I could just I described it that way, and everyone immediately knows what it is. That it can definitely be improved upon. And I'd love uh, if, we, if we post this podcast on Reddit or Twitter. I'd love suggestions from people on uh, what we can do better with it. Yeah, let's get a catchy name on this, people. Um, so let me read off the the list at point guard, going from one dollar all the way up to uh, the very expensive five dollars. We have Isaiah Whitehead, 
Sean Livingston, Devin Harris, Darren Williams, and Jason Kidd. At shooting guard, we have Marshawn Brooks, uh, Gerald Green, Joe Johnson, Drazen Petrovic, and Vince Carter. Small forward, we have Alan Anderson, Alan Crabb, uh, Andre Karolinko, Richard Jefferson, and Dr. J. Uh, the $4 range, we have Reggie Evans, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Mirza Toledovich, Kenyon Martin, and Buck Williams. And then finally at the center position, we have Jason Collins, Andre Blatch, uh, Mason Plumley, Derek Coleman, and Brooke Lopez. All right, uh, Josh. Let's uh, let's let's hear your team. And also, what was what was your philosophy around building your team? What what, what were you going for? Okay, so from oh wait wait thought, wait quick. I'm sorry. I hate myself for cutting you off, but I just wanted to get into the premise. Uh, just just finish up with the premise and the rules that we established. All right, so this is we were taking these guys based on the peak of their Nets career, not the peak of their overall career, which changed my made me change my team around a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And you were allowed to move positions around as long as it adds up to fifteen dollars. Sorry for interrupting you, Josh. Go right ahead. Yeah, I was actually going to explain that exact thing, that it wasn't their career. It was just their Nets career. Yeah. Uh, so my team, we got a backcourt of Jason Kidd and Starshawn. Uh, that's Marshawn Brooks for those uninitiated. Okay. And then Dr. J, Rondé, and then my guy Andre Blatch manning the pivot. So I, what I wanted to do was get a couple of, um, of star players, which I did in Dr. J and, and uh, Jason Kidd, obviously two of the greatest players in franchise history. And then a couple guys who I thought were undervalued a little bit, Andre Blatch is extremely talented and I'm, I'm assuming that I will be his coach and GM uh, so I feel like I can get him on the right path so I, I could be the Andre Blatch whisperer uh, all right so you think you can you succeed will. where multiple NBA coaches fail it's is, yeah, is the mean, premise of your team I honestly team. think I could be a better coach than Avery uh, PJ Carlissimo I'm not sure if he was there for the Lionel era I don't think he was but I honestly have more faith in myself than than those guys and obviously Billy King in the front office. So yeah, all, all you have to do is I mean, not get choked out and uh, not trade uh, three first round picks for two aging veterans. All right, yeah, um, my voice is much lower than Avery's. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, you're not you're not quite as high pitched as anyone. What's isn't his nickname like the General though? It seems like he like he like garners respect. Like I I, I think general. I think you do too. The little General. The little General. Okay. So you're, I always thought it was kind of condescending. I'm not yeah, sure yeah, yeah. What other people interpreted. No, you're right. I mean, I think the implication there is like everyone kind of hates him and like, oh, look, here comes the little general. It's I don't like know. Napoleon. I, and I've, I've never heard anyone call you that. So that you're right. You you, you could be right. All right. I feel a little oh, bit yeah, better that. about your team now. All right. My initial premise was similar. I, I wanted to unite Jason Kidd and Drazen Petrovic just because I kids affect on a team. There are, I think you could count on one, maybe two hands, the number of point guards in NBA history that have created a sense of selflessness like he has and really gotten a whole team passing and really elevated a whole team because no offense to those early 2000s Nets teams, and I think maybe the biggest component of their success was just how truly atrocious the Eastern Conference was at the time. But the, fact, but the fact that that roster outside a kid made the finals, that's incredible It's insane to, to look me. back and see that Back-to-back back finals, right? Uh, yeah, back-to-back back finals. That's ridiculous. And they took the Spurs to six games. And keep in mind, like, at the time, like, kid, like, under rigorous modern NBA guidelines, statistically, he was, like, a slightly rich man's Ricky Rubio with how poorly he shot the ball. But Yeah, I think his shooting would play a much bigger uh, part today, his lack of shooting. Yeah. Um, but, like, back then, obviously, the spacing wasn't as good. And most teams play with two traditional big men anyway, that um, his ability to get out on the fast break with guys like RJ, Kenyon Martin, Kerry Kittles – it really provided a different dimension, and that's what um, 
helped the Nets to overcome a pretty bad half-court offense. Yeah, and that's my point. That tells you how truly special that guy was, that that you talk about that shooting deficiency and the fact that he was a good but not like Russell Westbrookian level athlete. And he was clearly, you could argue, at that for those couple years, maybe the most single most impactful player in the game. That's insane to me. That's absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. So that's right, why. Let's I'm, the rest of your team. Okay, yeah, no, so that's kind of why my, my initial premise was to include Jason Kidd and Drazen Petrovic. But then I started thinking. And I thought, you know what, I want a more modern team. I want a team with a lot of switchability. I want a team that can shoot it well enough. I want a team that can dominate defensively and one that I know can score on the other end. So my final team was Sean Livingston, a guy who you you could argue that during his time with the Nets, he was still coming off of injury, and he wasn't operating on quite as high of a level as he was when he was one of the better players on Golden State's first championship team. But I, I still think at times and at his peak, which is the premise of this, he was really, really good. Uh, Drazen Petrovic, who I, I did uh, for my first podcast here, I did a full thing on him. My biggest takeaway from hours and hours of research on him was this was one of the few guys ballsy enough to stand up to Michael Jordan. A lot of people called him the best shooter they'd ever seen. And in a lot of ways, he was Steve Nash and Steph Curry before Steve Nash and Steph Curry. So I think he's a guy underrated historically, special, special player and scorer. Uh, Julius Irving, I'd, I'd say the Nets goat based on how good he is. Um, Andre Kirilenko, not incredible during his net seasons, but still versatile and really good defensively. And then Jason Collins as uh, my $1 finish to set picks, get rebounds, and generally be a good role player. So that is my team, Josh. Uh, feel free to tear them apart. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, okay, I didn't have Marshawn Brooks on my team. Starshawn, dude, his his um, his one net se- or his one and a half net season, he was terrific, you know? Okay. He was... He draws comparisons to Kobe Bryant. <laughs> 50 in a game at Providence. Uh, Jesus. Uh, he was he immediately was, out of the league after his here, Okay, here's my problem with your team. AK-47 sure. was obviously an all-star caliber player when he was at, with Utah, but he was so washed when he came to the Nets. And if, I, if my team was playing your team, I would just have Latch uh, go into beast mode, just stand out at the, three, at the three-point line and just do dribble moves on Collins, and he could get past him every time. Uh there's that three-play sequence against the Clippers a few years ago where Blash just destroyed DeAndre Jordan, and imagine that happening to Jason Collins. He would embarrass him. All right. I mean, Blatch never consistently embarrassed anyone in the NBA. Uh, he embarrassed himself, but... Yeah, that's, that's okay. But his t- I, can, I can get his head on straight, uh, and his talent is insane. Uh, extremely productive player with the Nets in his two years. He was a really good backup. And Collins, I love the guy, but he's just like... Even in today's modern NBA, he's even like a worse fit. He cannot move at all. He was his best skill was being able to take a charge. All right. So if I accept your constructive, he, he could flop yeah. against guys like Shaq. That was his premier skill. All right. If I if I accept your constructive criticism on Kirilenko, I give up a little bit of defense for offense, and I swap him up out for Alan Crabb. He plays the three. I move Julius up to the four. How do you feel about that? To me, that's like a pretty unstoppable offense. If I can just get Jason Collins. Out of the way, Sean Livingston, one of the better passers in basketball, draws in an elite floor spacer, Crab an elite floor spacer, and Julius kind of operating in that range. Maybe park Jason Collins in the short corner. I'm running pick and rolls with Livingston, draws in Julius, Crab. He's going to hit a lot of open shots. I, I think I think that's a pretty good team. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I think the reason I really love my team is that I have kid who can make uh, Rondé and and uh, Andre Blatch so much better, and he's going to help their lives and uh, really make sure that they're getting the opportunities and the 
and getting the ball um, in the opportunities they need um, in the space they can operate. And then also having Dr. J out there, like one of the greatest players of all time. You're not going to go wrong with that. And my team is very good defensively. Uh, having Rondé, Dr. J, and Kidd, I think Starshawn's kind of a liability. Latch, when motivated, can be okay. But um, conditioning's in and out. But I think my hypothetical team would destroy your hypothetical team. Okay, let's – all right. Uh, going with Crab on my team, let, let, let's talk this through. Um, so I think Jason Kidd is probably guarding Drazen, and then you're probably trying to hide Starshawn and Livingston, right? Um, I don't want to give away too much of my strategy. <laughs> what? Yes. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, so I think, I think Livingston is kicking his ass in the high post. He, he's, he's going 10 to 15 feet out. He's draining 16, 17-footers on Starshawn him. Starshawn has length, though. He's finding Starshawn cutters. Has. So Marshawn Brooks was never, he's never a good defender in the NBA. Um, I think I think Drazen eats Jason Kidd's lunch. I think Jason Kidd gets some stuff on him on fast breaks, but Drazen goes around him. He shoots over him. He was just an elite, elite scorer during his time in the NBA. And Jason Kidd, at his peak, was a good defender. I don't know if no, he, he is was a great defender. Come on, I don't know, but I don't know if he has a lateral quickness to stop Drazen Petrovic. And and keep in mind that that he, I, I don't know how many guys he played against that could shoot the ball. Like Drazen. Um, Rondé is definitely an issue if you throw him on Alan Crabb, and he probably, like, honestly takes him out of the game, but I think those two just cancel out anyways because Rondé isn't doing anything on offense. Unless you want to argue he's going to kick my ass in transition. And I'm, I don't know. I, I know you made your point on Blotch that doesn't totally terrify me. I could even have Rondé guard Drazen, though. I have so many options. Yeah, or you could, but then Dr. who's. Dr. Jays are going to guard each other. Okay, then. So you're putting you're putting Marshawn on Alan Crab. Yeah, I'm trying to find Marshawn's China or Chinese I, league stats right now. Okay, um, Marshawn and Alan Crab. That makes it a little bit interesting. But again, I'm I'm pretty much whoever you put on them. I'm I'm pretty confident in Drazen's ability to break down a defense. And I, I think I think what you just suggested is probably your best option. But I, I don't know. I, th- I think I think my team finds a way. I just I love I love the competitiveness of guys like Livingston and Drazen. And I, I don't know. I'm pretty confident my Julius Serving beats out your Julius Serving. Mm, I think that my Julius. I think that I can coach him up enough where uh, mine is better than yours. Like so, I I'm counting on my value as a um, as a coach and and GM and motivating force uh, to be better than yours. I don't know, but I think Julius like respects that like I'm a New York native and we nah, have like the Rucker I think connection. He respects me more. I mean, I'm more of a New York native. What you didn't? You when did you play on Rucker? Uh, a couple times. I know. I grew. Uh, Josh, I grew up there. I was raised Andrew on the Russell course. hit that shot over me. All right, this is getting a little bit ridiculous. You know, you know what we're gonna do if we if we ever get the password to our um, Twitter. If not, we can just um, put it out on our own specific Twitters. Let's tweet out um, um, both of our teams and and people can vote on which one's better. Okay, Marshawn averaged thirty six point two last year in the Chinese league. Okay, well, all right, that's. I mean, that's obviously. I, I, I'm probably going to try and get him on my team now. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's pretty darn good. He's clearly the best value. Yeah, that's all right. That, that's fair. He's, he's clearly turned into a dominant uh, dominant overseas player. All right, so yeah, tweet- we're gonna we're gonna do um, an NBA two K simulation of this game. Yeah, uh, and, and we'll tweet it out, and we'll get votes, and just so people aren't biased to your winning personality, we'll we'll put the teams out anonymously. So as long as people didn't listen to this podcast, which is a fairly good bet, um, they they won't uh, know uh, which teams which. All right, so we'll, okay, so we'll do all that. Um, for Josh Bass, I am Gavin Shaw. Um, I meant to put this in the middle of the podcast, but if you stuck around to the end, uh, we appreciate you sticking around a minute longer. If you want to advertise on the Locked On Podcast Network, you can get your product out to a couple hundred listeners. That's right, a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand someday. Um, just hit me up on Twitter, at Gavin Shaw, slide into my DM, shoot me a tweet. If you have a product you want to advertise, I'll also probably post my email 
um, with this podcast recording, and you can shoot me a message there if you're interested in um, advertising with the Locked On Podcast Network. And be sure to check out the entirety of the Locked On Podcast Network. I know Locked On Hornets, uh, I don't even know if Josh is aware of this because he's not on the email list yet, but they just had uh, Hornets GM Rich Cho on their podcast. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Good I know Locked On Spurs at George Gervin, uh, Gervin a couple episodes back. So Locked On Podcast Network doing big things. I promise we're going to get into that game sooner rather than later. Uh, for now, we are stuck relaying Jason Collins stories. But, hey, that's pretty good. So for Josh, I'm Gavin. Uh, tune in later this week. We're going to put an episode out on Friday. Oh, Josh, I forgot. I totally forgot to ask. Uh, any any grinder gear uh, moments in the last week? As, as always, I'm just putting you on the spot with this. Um, let me see what's been happening in my life. Actually, yes. So I, I've been on a big health kick recently. So I'm going to a lot of make-your-own-salad places like Sweet Greens and Chopped. And I found that some of these people just order four things um, at these fast, casual places. It also happens at uh, Chipotle, and it just takes forever because there's so many different customizations and random um, like details that they want. Uh, dressing on the side, maybe a little dressing on it, and then some on the side. Uh, only put the scallions to, all the way to the left of the bowl, and it's infuriating. There needs to be a, a two-item limit at uh, if you're online. If you're ordering ahead, go for it. But uh, I know that that, that 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 was a great one. I, I feel bad that most people probably didn't stick around uh, long enough to uh, listen to it. I know you, right, maybe we'll do it again next time. All right, we're, we're we're surrounded by snowflakes. We'll do it again. Uh, peace out. We'll be back on Friday.